Well, good morning, you guys. You look great this morning. How are you feeling? Good. <laughs> good. Tired. We've, uh, we've been uh, enjoying the divine drama uh, this semester, and we've been on a fascinating journey looking at creation through the patriarchs to the prophets, pulling principles and concepts that help us love God and love other people. So today, uh, I'm joined by four youth ministry students, Lauren, Chris, Eliana, and Elijah, and we are going to talk about the voice of the prophets. But before we get started, I'm wondering, Elijah, if we could like rewind the semester and tell us where we've been. Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay. Mark Maxwell started the series by introducing the divine drama and walking through the patriarchs, prophets, and apostles overview. Mark mentioned that this series will help us understand God's character and humanity's story. Then, Dan Cochrane continued by reminding us from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that the creation account tells us that Yahweh is unmistakably personal, right? And he longs for a relationship with all of us. Next, Nelson Reed stated, or started his Christian Life Week with his talk on Be Still from the Book of Numbers. He reminded us that Caleb followed God wholeheartedly. Therefore, God would bring him into the land and his descendants would inherit it. Kevin Peters reminded us from Genesis 3 to 11 that God saw all and that it was very good. But through the fall, we encountered the problem of sin, which brought God's judgment. But we can experience God's mercy and grace and learn how to mend a sinful heart. He also played a very cool song from the 70s. Dr. Mike Schmidt took us to Genesis 12 to 50 to remind us that in the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, God would accomplish what God promised. And Dr. Tyron Laws reminded us that in Exodus, redeemed people develop a divine presence. Amen. Amen. Uh, Phil Calloway told us that Donald Trump's hair is neutral. The King James Version was a good enough for Paul, and Moses was a basket case. <laughs> Besides all that, Phil taught us that in Deuteronomy, God's people were called to listen, remember, and follow. Dr. Gary Schmidt took us on a journey of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. In Judges, the next generation who did not know God personally forgot and did not listen, and increasingly went their own ways, like postpartumists. Post Modernists, sorry. And Ruth Boaz, son of Rahab, a man who remembered God's hand and lived in God's way, saw a woman like his mother in Ruth, and Ruth in Boaz's line, a seed was planted for a future king. Oh, yes. And in continuation, Dr. James Enns actually reminded us in Samuel and Kings that despite an unfaithful first king, there would arise a faithful king who would lead Israel towards faithfulness and hope and would one day rule over the nations. However, the rise of the kingdom of Israel involved civil war, rape, abduction, anarchy, and this excellent new phrase that I love, moral turpitude. Dennis Landon reminded us that in the Babylonian exile, that it is devastating when God hands us over to our idolatry. Yet, our devastation is not intended for our ultimate destruction, but our renewal. And then last week, 
Tom Peachy reminded us from Job, Ecclesiastes, and Psalms that we must trust God even when life does not make sense. Thank you. Well, that brings us up to today. Today we're going to be talking about the voice of the prophets, and we're going to have a little bit of an interactive journey through song and discussion and scripture reading and prayer. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for what we've learned uh, this semester so far. Thank you so much for our colleagues and friends and the things they taught us about your love for us and how we can love other people. Lord, today we pray that you would help us to listen to the voice of the prophets. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question for everyone. When you say the word prophet, what comes to your mind? Well, I have a picture of someone in this lawn cloak who dramatically predicts the future. I have a picture of someone in a sackcloth and ashes predicting doom over everyone. Well, my picture is kind of different because the picture in mind I have is of someone bold and courageous, right? Standing like a social reformer, just like Martin Luther, um, confronting kings and rulers, and then pointing us to the Messiah. Well, many of us might define prophets as social reformers or predictors of the future or foretellers of the coming Messiah. These categories, according to Dr. Aaron Chalmers, are insufficient to really describe what the prophets of ancient Israel are. And while some prophets foretold divine acts of the future, some brought reform into king's courts, most prophets were just everyday people of faith who God called to proclaim his voice. Prophets held people and nations accountable for their waywardness by speaking the truth, calling for repentance, and promising restoration. Hmm. So... Um, the Old Testament prophets are God's representatives. His mouthpieces are ambassadors, but they're also more than his voice box. Whether they were seer, man of God, or prophet, they spoke truth on behalf of Yahweh to call God's people back to the covenant relationship, which was characterized by three-part three part formula. I will be your God, you will be my people, I will dwell in your midst. So with this, is there a place in the Old Testament that gives specific instructions for what a prophet is? Yep, there is. There's an excellent passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 14 to 22, where Moses foretells the future prophet. It is an excellent summary of what a prophet does and does not do, and the people's responsibility to the prophetic word. Um, let's stand and we read this together. Listen to those who practice the sorcery of divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will listen. You fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. This is what the Lord your God had heard on the day of the assembly. Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up from them a prophet, like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, 
I will tell him everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what the prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Thank you so much. Please be seated. Oh, man, I wish I was an Old Testament prophet. That sounds like an amazing job. Uh, it may sound incredible to be in their sandals, but the prophets were this despised, assorted, and often misunderstood group of people. Being a prophet means sometimes being willing to do things for God way outside their comfort zone. In what the Explore program describes as the panic zone, lacking safety and security, and often resorting to just plain survival. I know, that's, that's really funny because, for example, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, right? Jonah ran from God and ended up in the belly of a great fish for three days. Well, that sounds a little bit fishy. But I guess Jonah had a whale of a time. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So then we have Jeremiah, that he had to hide his underwear in the Euphrates River. Well, that gives a whole new meaning to stone-washed underpants. You know, that's not it. That's not just it, right? Ezekiel also ate a scroll, and then he lay on his left side for 390 days. That's a lot of time. And on his right side for 40 days. And then he cooked his food over a fire of cow manure. Talk about laying down for a crappy meal. Well, Isaiah preached naked, or at least nearly naked, and barefoot for three years as a sign for Egypt and Cush. Well, then I guess you could say that Isaiah had a very transparent ministry. (laughs) Okay, maybe you're right, Eliana. I don't wish I was an Old Testament prophet, but I do respect the way, uh, what they did and what they went through to serve God. All right, so now that we know that prophets are regular people who are often asked to do very irregular things that were way outside their comfort zone, how did the prophets help God's people see Yahweh as an alternative voice in their culture and in the nations around them? Well, if you remember in Deuteronomy 18, Moses warned God's people against following other nations' practices and falling into idolatry with their gods. The nations around the Israelites listened to falsehood and engaged in detestable practices. Israel was to flee from those practices and return to Yahweh as a source of truth and deliverance. Yahweh reminded his people through the prophets that he was the only true God. And unlike the Israelites, the other nation's prophets would try to manipulate their small g gods to do as they pleased. But God's role in the prophetic was to raise up divinely appointed prophets and put his word into their mouth to speak on his behalf. 
the prophet proclaimed the genuine alternative to the other gods of the nations. Walter Brueggemann in his book, The Prophetic Imagination, says, prophecy begins in discerning how genuinely alternative Yahweh is. Okay, so God's prophets showed people that Yahweh is the genuine alternative in the face of many other gods. So since God is truth, the prophets must speak truth into the ears of those who hear and those who do not want to listen. We all know that the Israelites constantly blew it. Dr. Tim Mackey says that the Tory, the, not the Tory, the Torah story is designed to show that Israel could not keep God's law because a human condition is so broken and it needs to be transformed by God. God sent the prophets to remind the people of this. Yeah, so prophets were mostly forthtelling, speaking truth to God's people and rulers. The prophets offered a genuine alternative to the falsehood and chaos around them. Remember, the people lived with other nations in turmoil and disorder and oppression. It's very much like our own time, with a myriad of mixed messages from the world. And in the days of mixed messages like we have, the first key voice of the prophets was truth speaking. In other words, a true biblical prophet was a speaker of truth, a communicator of what was correct, trustworthy, and reliable. Okay, Kelly, but why must we listen to Old Testament today? I think I can answer that. You know, truth speaking for the prophets is important today because we can believe and trust the Old Testament prophet's word as the word of God. Some people today say that as Christ followers, we should do away with the Old Testament, but that is misleading and inaccurate. Second Peter 1 tells us that we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So claiming to be part of a prophetic tradition meant that the prophet listened to God's call and cultivated a heart of truth to receive God at his word and then to proclaim everything that God commanded. So the prophets spoke truth to align us with God's truth. I might use this analogy. So my wife's car uh, had a really bad time of like going, pulling to the right really hard. And so we took her car in for a wheel alignment. And if she was, uh, prior to that, if she was driving down the highway and let go of the steering wheel, she'd go right off the road. So alignment is really important to get us back on track. God used the prophetic voice of truth to align us with him so we don't go right off the road. For that's what sin is. It's kind of doing our own thing, going our own way, and being stubbornly rebellious. For this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God, he who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it, he did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness, 
I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak truth. I declare what is right. And again, Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and labor does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Please be seated. So if you remember, way back in Deuteronomy 30, Moses wrote, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love them with all your heart and with all of your soul, and you may live. The prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah pick up, picked up this circumcised heart metaphor from Moses. Ezekiel proclaimed, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The bottom line is that the human heart needs to go under heart surgery by Yahweh to align our hearts so that we can love God with our whole heart and soul and in turn love others. Okay, so I think I get the voice of the prophets and what they're saying. Truth speaking helps guide people in truth and to make an alternative choice for Yahweh as true God. Second, truth speaking reveals our hearts and desperately wicked and not in line with what God wants. Listening to the prophetic voice of truth helps us be wise followers of Yahweh. Yeah, Dr. Henry Cloud says that one of the ways to distinguish wise people from foolish people is their response to truth. Cloud says the chief descriptor of the wise person is that when truth shows up, wise people look at the truth, they receive it and join it and adjust behavior to align with the truth. The fool does the opposite. They reject the truth, resist it, explain it away, and do nothing to adjust their life to meet truth's requirements. The fool in their mind is never wrong. The truth teller is. God spoke through his prophets to his people in hope that they would receive truth about their waywardness and align themselves to a holy God. But God also spoke through the prophets about consequences for those who did not listen to the truth and reject the holy God. You know, the voice of the prophet sounds like leading to a holy God. So let's all stand as we sing together. Oh uh-huh. 
When you think of calling to repentance, what do you think about? I usually think of it as like turning from one thing to another. For example, if I have disobeyed God in my thoughts, actions, and will, I will turn away from that and walk the other way. That's really good. Um, I think it's not quite the entire picture, though. Uh, The question we need to wrestle with is where are we to return back? Uh, Thank you. That's much better. Okay. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you um, come on you and you take them to heart, Wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where, you, uh, where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, From there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possessions of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. Thanks, Chris. Let's just go back and look at verse 2 again. When you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, That English word return is a Hebrew word shuv. It means to return, like a return to where you came from. So there's a sense in shuv that calls for response. Returning to somewhere, like your land or place or a person. And the condition of shuv is also that when you return, something or someone is waiting for you.
Stand with me as we read Hosea 14, 1 to 9. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The way of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious will stumble in them. Please be seated. Okay. This promise is repeated numerous times in Shuv. That is a promise that returning to Yahweh will bring wholeness. So Dr. Teresa Noel says, it is amazing that God not only calls the Jewish people to return to him, but he promises to return to them when they hear obey, and return to the Creator and Father God. So with all this talk of like returning to something and that being what repenting is, what were the covenant violations that Israel had to turn from? Dr. Longman III says, the sins or covenant violations for Israel fall into three major categories, all of which are explicitly listed in Deuteronomy. Idolatry, having gods other than Yahweh or plus Yahweh. Social injustice, not loving people like God commanded. And reliance on religious ritualism, regular religious practice without life-giving obedience and worship. Okay, so repentance for the prophets was not simply turning from sin or a covenant violation but returning to Yahweh to restore their original relationship. I see repentance as a renewed consciousness, a return to the Father so that the Father will return to you, and everything will be put right again. In repentance, forgiveness brings healing. Yeah, and Jesus picks up this idea in the parable of the prodigal son. In Luke fifteen seventeen. Uh, when he came to his senses, he said... I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So true repentance is not simply confessing and turning away from sin or turning around, but it's actually aligning ourselves with God's truth and returning to the father 
as a dearly loved child of God. Repentance is agreeing with God that we have gone our own way and we desire to return home again, to love God with all our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves so that true restoration can begin again. Yeah, so let us stand and proclaim our desire to return to the Father.
to grace I'm done with the hiding No reason to wait My heart found a surgeon My soul found a friend So I'll run to the Father again and again And again and again The voices of the prophets were truth speaking, repentance calling, and finally, restoration promising. Okay, so um, listen as I read Isaiah chapter 64, verses 4 to 8. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to, to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? As we enter into Advent, the four-week season in the church anticipating the arrival of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah and King. Hebrews 1 tells us, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. This Messiah, Jesus, was the one who said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Matthew 5.17 Ultimately, we see and find through the incarnation of Jesus the Messiah, a God who came to restore us, to make us what and who we ought to be, beloved children in covenant relationship with a loving Father. This is the beginning of the new restoration between Yahweh and his people. We anticipate, like the people of Old Testament, the final hope that one day Jesus is coming again to restore all things in heaven and on earth. Oh, yes. So the voices of the prophets are still heard today. They're speaking the truth, calling us to repentance, and promising restoration, even as we await the coming of the Messiah and the restoration of all things. Yeah. So let us stand together as we sing our last song, as we proclaim a song of hope for a new future.
shall come to 